I spoke before on three different episodes on Alan Weissman's book, Collapse, which I found tremendous. I recommend to everyone. I've now finished my second book of his, which actually he wrote first, The World Without Us. And I have in front of me the article that it came from. So the book is a long book, I believe well worth the read. The release of this book was huge. It was a New York Times bestseller. It won all sorts of awards. He won all sorts of awards. He went on a tour all over the place. I remember hearing about it. I just didn't get the chance to read it. Somehow I put it off for all this time. But boy, am I glad I read it now. It started with an article in Discovery Magazine called Earth Without People. And he considers what would happen if humans suddenly didn't exist. He speculates if some virus wiped them all out or something happened and we all disappeared. That's not the important part. What would happen? And it's a very interesting question. What would last? What would disappear fast? Would the building that you're in last for a long time? Would it disappear quickly? The buildings that were around the longest, like pyramids, would they end up being the ones that would last the longest? That's kind of curious to think about. And what does our legacy, however hypothetical, say about us and how we treat ourselves, how we treat the world, how we treat wildlife? For me, living in New York City, I wonder how long would the Empire State Building last? How long would the subway last? Turns out a couple hours for the subway before it would get flooded. And then there are things like radiation, pyramids, and there's pyramids in Giza, but there's pyramids all over the place. The Mayans, he talks about the Mayans a lot. Greenhouse emissions, if we warm the globe, how long will it take before it goes back to what it would have been? I mean, if it's long enough, then we get into ice ages. This is the sort of thing you could think about. What changes would happen? And it turns out that you need to consider how things got to how they are. Why are there certain species in some areas and not others? What invasive species are there? What things are we doing to make plants and animals the way they are that wouldn't last if we didn't make it that way. The DMZ he talks about, the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea is a place where there's wildlife in a certain sense, but not quite enough to sustain serious wildlife, but there's some stuff going on there. Uh, there's a, I'm not going to try to say the name of the forest in Poland, but there's lots of places that have been rewilded or never became, un, there's, I think there's maybe almost no places that are not wild anymore, that are, maintain the wild that there used to be. He's got amazing research talking, for example, to engineers behind bridges. How long will the bridges last? What will take them down? Which ones will last the longest? About subways, about oil refineries in Houston. What would happen if the refineries stopped having people in them? Would they keep going? For how long would they keep going? You'd be amazed at how much oil would start getting out and how it would get out. The engineers in nuclear reactors, there's something a little over 400 at the time he wrote, which is, I think, 15 years ago. How much radiation would be released and how, much, how it would happen. And the propensity for explosions in places where I wouldn't have expected so many possible places where things could explode. He doesn't go into too much of that, but something that I noticed. It's also clear there used to be a lot more wildlife than you'd expect. It's a long book, but it's based on the short article. So I'm going to read a few things from this article. And I'm going to put the link to the article in the text. I recommend looking at it. It's maybe a 15-minute read. In the article, he says, Given the mounting toll of fouled oceans, overheated air, missing topsoil, and mass extinctions, we might sometimes wonder what our planet would be like if humans suddenly disappeared. Would Superfund re sites revert to gardens of Eden? Would the seas again fill with fish? Would our concrete cities crumble to dust from the force of tree roots, water, and weeds? How long would it take for our traces to vanish? And if we could answer such questions... Would we be more in awe of the changes we have wrought or of nature's resilience? And he continues, he talks about the DMZ and how soul is expanding up into there. Here's a quick comparison between a past civilizational collapse and what might happen with ours. He says, quoting now, the new wilderness would consume cities 
Much as the jungle of northern Guatemala consumed the Mayan pyramids and megalopolises of overlapping city-states, from AD 800 to 900, a combination of drought and internecine warfare over dwindling farmland brought 2,000 years of civilization crashing down. Within 10 centuries, the jungle swallowed all. Mayan communities alternated urban living with fields sheltered by forests, in contrast with today's paved cities, which are more like man-made deserts. However, it wouldn't take long for nature to undo even the likes of New York City. Jamil Ahmad, civil engineering department chair at Cooper Union College in New York City, says repeated freezing and thawing common in months like March and November would split cement within a decade, allowing water to seep in. As it too froze and expanded, cracks would widen. Soon, weeds such as mustard and goosegrass would invade. With nobody to trample seedlings, New York's prolific exotic Chinese ailanthus tree would take over. Within five years, says Dennis Stevenson, senior curator at the New York Botanical Garden, ailanthus roots would heave up sidewalks and split sewers. So he goes on talking about that, but not nearly as in, in as much depth as he does in the book when he talks about the different invasive species and how it's really crazy. I, I'm not going to be able to go into it that much, but how we are sustaining some animals. Like cockroaches and rats would actually disappear pretty quickly, apparently. Dogs and cats would go feral, but they would not be able to compete. All sorts of things you wouldn't expect. And through it all, you learn about yourself. He also makes some very sharp observations. One of them that struck me, the passage was talking about the growth of plants in some places, and it said, weeds, also known as biodiversity, which kind of makes you think about how our values have shifted, or that we've just lost sight of them given how much we say we like biodiversity, but keep producing weed killers that poison our whole planet. We learn about how much beauty we've lost, but how much left there is to lose that I consider worth saving more than what I consider the false belief that flying is necessary. Mayan civilization completely disappeared, lasted much longer than our civilization has. People couldn't even tell that some mounds, I mean, it took decades, I think, after they knew the Mayans were there to find some hills were actually covered up pyramids. I want to read some parts from the magazine article. The whole magazine article is phenomenal. I mean, it's nothing compared to the book, but much faster to read. And I'm going to read a couple paragraphs. Now talking about the Americas, and I'm going to pick up in the middle, so sorry for the lack of context, but you'll get it. He says, If the bison herd withers, they would join all the other extinct megafauna that even our total disappearance could never bring back. In a glass case in his laboratory, paleoecologist Paul S. Martin at the University of Arizona keeps a lump of dried dung he found in a Grand Canyon cave left by a sloth weighing 200 pounds. That would have made it the smallest of several North American ground sloth species present when humans first appeared on this continent. Now, it's not Europeans. That's the Americans who came, or the people who came through the Bering Strait. That was me just saying that. Back to the quote. The largest was as big as an elephant and lumbered around by the thousands in the woodlands and deserts of today's United States. What we call pristine today, Martin says, is a poor reflection of what would be here if Homo sapiens had never evolved. Quote, America would have three times as many species of animals over 1,000 pounds as Africa does today, he says. An amazing megafaunal menagerie roamed the region. Giant armadillos resembling armor-plated autos. Bears twice the size of grizzlies. The hoofed herbivorous toxodon, big as a a rhinoceros, and saber-toothed tigers. A dozen species of horses were here, as well as the camel-like litoptern, giant beavers, giant peccaries, woolly rhinos, mammoths, and mastodons. 
Climate change and imported disease may have killed them, but most paleontologists accept the theory Martin advocates. Quoting Martin here, when people got out of Africa and Asia and reached other parts of the world, all hell broke loose. He is convinced that people were responsible for the mass extinctions because they commenced with human arrival everywhere. First, in Australia 60,000 years ago, then mainland America 13,000 years ago, followed by the Caribbean islands 6,000 years ago, and Madagascar 2,000 years ago. Yet one place on Earth did manage to elude the intercontinental holocaust, the oceans. Dolphins and whales escaped for the simple reason that prehistoric people could not hunt enough giant marine mammals to have a major impact on the population. Quote, at least a dozen species in the ocean Columbus sailed were bigger than his biggest ship, end quote, says marine paleoecologist Jeremy Jackson of the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute in Panama, quoting him again, not only mammals, the sea off Cuba was so thick with 1,000-pound green turtles that his boats practically ran aground on them, end quote. This was a world where ships collided with schools of whales and where sharks were so abundant they would swim up rivers to prey on cattle. Reefs swarmed with 800-pound Goliath grouper, not just today's puny aquarium species. 800 pounds. Cod could be fished from the sea in baskets. Oysters filtered all the water in Chesapeake Bay every five days. The planet's shores teemed with millions of manatees, seas, and walruses. I don't know about you. This is me again. But I can't believe the nature that used to be there. People talk about, well, what would happen if we lose something, what we've lost so far? All right. I don't want to go on too long. I just want to get you thinking about and hopefully reading this book. I would actually read, I don't know, between the two of them, I'm not sure which I would read first, but I recommend reading both. So that's Alan Weissman, Countdown, Alan Weissman, The World Without Us. I'll put the link to Earth Without People, the Discovery Magazine article that started The World Without Us. Read them all, watch some videos, but read the stuff. This is about our world. I don't know about you, but when I see how much we've lost, it shows me how much we have to lose. There's an analogy that he quoted someone else using in Countdown, where some teachers teaching students, if you have a piece of cloth and you take out one thread, I'm getting a little bit off, but if you have a piece of cloth and you take out a thread, you still have the same basic piece of cloth. If you take out another piece of thread, you still have the same basic piece of cloth. Eventually, if you take out enough threads, the cloth is no longer cloth. We're seeing a lot of extinctions, a lot of habitat loss, a lot of biodiversity loss, lots of things that we're losing. When does it happen that one that we lose is one that we can't live without? Doesn't that make you think, isn't it worth keeping some of these things? Might that be worth changing some of our behavior for, even some things that we consider absolutely essential? People have been living without things that we consider essential for a long, long time. Maybe we can too.